0: Hey, it's Karen Hunter from The Karen Hunter Show on SiriusXM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. I wanted to start a relationship with the Financial Times. And this young lady has been doing some great work there. So I wanted to invite her in and just start a conversation. Cena Gassnavy is here, of course. Cena now. It's Thrive Thursday. And let me welcome U.S. Labor and Equality correspondent at the Financial Times, at Financial Times, FT.com. Let me welcome Taylor Nicole Rogers. Welcome to the Karen Hunter show. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Uh, Listen, um, you know, as a former journalist, I am always I I love people who had I, I covered business horribly while I was there. I was only in the business department for a couple of years. But what 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 drove you to the Financial Times?
1: Well, I think for me, as someone who grew up thinking that they wanted to be in politics, what really drove me to business was the understanding that money shapes every aspect of our lives, even more so than our government does. And so for me, it was really important to understand how the businesses around me are driving you know my job, the things that I can buy, the roads that I can drive on, et cetera, et cetera, and then to be able to use that knowledge to help people around me.
0: So today, before you came here, we were talking about this open letter that Sean Combs uh, put out to uh, corporate America. You know about the amount of money uh, that they spend uh, versus how much Black folk actually contribute to their bottom line. You know, mm-hmm. do you think it's? Did you read the letter? Have you? I haven't read it in its uh, entirety,
1: but I, I did read a couple of stories about it, um, and I think he makes some good points.
0: So, so. As we, you know, because you, you write a lot about equity and equality and, you know, the racism that, that is found a lot of times. Uh, you have a piece about the black, the share of black employees and senior U.S. finance roles uh, and how there's no, you know, not a lot of representation. What do you right. think is the best way, you know, from a journalistic standpoint, because you're using your power differently to to bring light to these things. But on the other side of that, as you're writing, you also, I know, have some opinions. What are your thoughts about how we can move um, differently or better to get some results?
1: I think the most important thing for us to realize right now is that everything we have been doing isn't working. In that piece that you mentioned, you know, we studied data from over 100 financial firms um, over the course of a decade, ending in 2018, and we found that there was, you know, actually no progress for black people in finance. Actually there was negative progress. And so it shows that a lot of the things that companies have been doing, whether it's, you know, having at least two people of color, you know, in the, on the shortlist for every job or doing training things or doing mentorship programs, all of these things that sound really great, aren't working. And so I think it's really important for us to go back to the drawing board and think about what actually, you know, are people facing when they're trying to get you know senior jobs and why aren't they making it there
0: how did you get here again what's your backstory taylor what what, um you you said you wanted to go into politics but where are you from and how did you get here
1: I, i grew up in tennessee and i you know got into journalism in college i went to nyu Um, Did a bunch of internships there, ended up graduating with an offer from Business Insider where I studied wealth. So I was writing, uh, you know, stories essentially about billionaires and how they manage their money and how they spend their money every single day. And then I, you know, was thinking like, this is really interesting and, you know, I'm interested in it, but it's not really changing people's lives. And so, you know, last summer after George Floyd was murdered, you know, a lot of news organizations, including the FT, really sat back and said, you know, we failed Black America, we haven't done a good enough job, you know, covering the issues that we face um, as Black Americans. So, you know, they devised this role to kind of fix that when it comes to the job market. And I was lucky enough to be selected to do it.
2: So so where do you actually see the job market going in a post-COVID world right now? What are the big, you know, tectonic shifts that you anticipate, not just in the short term, but really trends that you think will stick around for the long term?
1: Well, I think the biggest trend is that, you know, it's going to become a lot more Competitive at what we call the bottom of the labor market. So, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of small businesses, a lot of restaurants, and this, the service sector be really, really decimated. And I don't think that all those jobs are going to come back. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in five years, when hopefully the economy is back to normal, there's going to be a lot fewer opportunities for hourly work than before. Um, the other big thing is I think people have realized that when push comes to shove, how little protection they have in the workforce. Um, one good example of this is the union drive that's going on. Um, well, it actually just ended at the Amazon plant in Bessemer, Alabama. You know, we're hoping to get some news on the result of that vote here shortly. But I mean, people are really realizing that, you know, when you're in the middle of a global health crisis, and it's getting harder and harder to pay your rent, that, you know, companies don't necessarily have your back. And so I think we're going to be seeing a lot more people organizing in their workplaces. So those are the two things I'd be looking out for.
0: I actually wanted to talk to you about what was happening in Bessemer because you know, black people have, have had a, a, very complicated relationship with union unionizing. I think of the Pullman Por- porters uh, and A. Philip Randolph. That was super important f- for building not just a black middle class, but also some some semblance of black power in this country because those unions had the ability to change laws. Uh, but then so many of the unions, particularly up north, didn't even a- allow black people in them. I worked in at the Daily News when the, when we went on strike, the Tribune Company, and I was like. Wait a minute, I'm going to strike for printers and pressmen that have no black members. Huh. Yeah, that's complicated, right? And, you know, there was a lot of pressure to support them. And I was like, yeah, but yeah, but no. And so now we're looking at Amazon, which I think is at an inflection point for them. You know, they really uh, will have to look in the mirror and determine what kind of company they're going to be for the future. This is a big deal. How do you think it's going to go?
1: I mean, I, I think it's going to be, at this point, it still looks like it is clu- too close to say. Um, the National Labor Relations Board is actually counting the, the ballots on Zoom right now, so I will wow. catch back up with them shortly. But, I mean, at this moment, it, it's really close. I think that, you know, I think if you put it in perspective that this drive is something that is absolutely unprecedented. No one, no group of workers has ever gotten this close to forming a union, in an Amazon facility in the United States, as this group investor has, and I think it's really important to say that these workers, I believe the the unit is like something like 80% black. And so for them, this is really a civil rights issue, especially you know in the moment that we're in right now, as we've seen so much more energy around Black Lives Matter. We're in the middle of a pandemic that has been very very unequal in you know who it kills and who it affects. So I think the future of of labor organizing is really going to be in the hands of Black America. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I think just the fact that they even got to the point where they held a vote is a huge win um, for the labor movement. And I don't think that their impact and their legacy will be hampered at all if it doesn't go their way.
2: Taylor, if we pivot a little bit to kind of like the office workers now, Mm -hmm. uh, how do you see the work from home culture changing? I think a lot of people I think are under this false impression that everyone's going to be able to work from home forever from now on. Um, is that is that true? Am I wrong? I think there's like companies are going to be like, no, you got to come back. I mean, there's got to be company culture at some point. Uh, Karen's going to be safe in her home for the next ten years if she wants to be, but she runs the she runs the channel. So, what about people that are are just office workers that you know are going to be maybe having to change the way they do things soon?
1: I think it really. It depends on industry. Like you've seen some tech companies and some investment banks really making huge pushes to get people back into the office. But I think for a lot of mid-sized companies and for a lot of companies that don't have as much of an emphasis on cohesion and their, you know, inclusive cultures, that people are gonna stay at home for a long time perhaps doing some kind of flexible two days in the office, three days at home, something like that model. Um, And, you know, for companies, this is an opportunity to cut some costs by downsizing their office space. But, you know, it's also an opportunity to provide workers with a little bit more flexibility. And I think workers really loved that over the past year. So we'll definitely see how it goes. But, you know, if you work it for, you know, a big tech company or a big bank, like you're going back to the office in September, no questions (laughs) asked.
0: But didn't yeah, they, exactly. weren't, weren't there several reports that talked about productivity being up with people having the ability to be able to, they were working longer, actually doing more work from home than they were in the office. And office culture, since we're talking about, you know, uh, equality and racism, office culture for black people is a added burden, even though there was this story that came out that said that people on Zoom are experiencing microaggressions around you know, how they look and having people make comments about their homes and their hair and things. So, you know, Drew McCaskill was on yes, uh, yesterday. Was it yesterday? Tuesday? No, Tuesday. And he said, you know, to be in the intimacy, in the safe place of your home and having, you know, racism come into your home is traumatizing. So, so there's a double-edged sword here, but I thought that companies were getting higher productivity from people staying home.
1: I think it, some people are, but I've also read a lot of really troubling statistics about burnout and how when you don't have that delineation between your workspace and your home space, that you know it can be a lot harder to just get out of bed in the morning. It can be a lot harder to get things done. I mean, I know for me, I'm, I'm very much a social person. And so I will go back to the office as soon as it's safe. But you know, I think the point that you just brought up about the, the mental strain on black Americans is a good one. I mean, the the microaggressions and all those things, you know, on some level, we are used to coping with that because those things absolutely happen in the office. And, you know, for some people I've spoken to, they really like that they can, you know, set up their perfect Zoom background and present themselves the way that they want to, but be comfortable in between meetings while they're just sending emails. Um, so, you know, there's a lot there, but I think what it really comes down to is, how companies think that they're going to get the most out of their workers. And I think that's going to be different for every company. Right,
0: we'll see how that uh, plays out. 866-801-8255. Taylor Nicole Rogers is here, and you can follow her at Taylor N uh, for Nicole Rogers, uh, like Mr. What what are you working on next? You know, they brought you in to to cover this. Um, Bessemer, Alabama, will know probably tomorrow, uh, maybe later on today, what the outcome, and that's going to be huge. Where's the next big touch point or inflection point?
1: You yeah, I think there's several, especially now that the economy is ramping back up again. One thing that I would keep a really really close eye on our retail stores, especially as we're seeing more and more tension around reopening guidelines and what workers are comfortable with. I think there's a good chance you're going to see more and more stories like we saw this time last year about workers and customers having conflicts over mask mandates and things like that. So I would definitely be paying attention to that. But like I said, I think we're in for a huge, you know, snowball effect on labor organizing. So I would definitely, you know, Stay
0: tuned and keep your eyes open for that okay chattanooga you're you're there now i am tell me so it, you know i i love tennessee there seems to be like the, everything come is, is coming back to tennessee for me personally i don't know why um and, a great and, yeah no but they're there it's it's a complicated state you know because even you know you got nashville you, you know, you have some some racial, uh, definitely racial issues. It's the home mm-hmm. of Robert Church, who helped fund Black Wall Street in Tulsa. You have, you know, all of these amazing people who are, who have come from Tennessee. Uh, you got Bill is it Bill Street. Is that uh, that's Memphis? You know, you you have so much happening there. Um, tell me something great about growing up in Tennessee, Taylor.
1: I mean, there are a lot of great things about growing up in Tennessee. For me, you know, the nature. Is a great part of it. I mean, we call Chattanooga a scenic city because we have the Tennessee River winding through the middle of our downtown area. Um, we're surrounded by, by mountains, so that was, you know, a huge highlight. It's very affordable, so that's something that you know is wonderful. You're able to give your family uh, a comfortable life, but you know, of course, you cannot look past some of the other things that have happened and are still happening in Tennessee. Um, and so, you know, it's you know it's definitely a mixed bag, like every place, but you know, I'm proud to be a Tennessean. I usually spend most of my time in New York these days, but it's always good to come home.
0: Are you, are oh, you, tra- uh, oh, no, go ahead. Are, are you, I'm just <laughs> like, are you traveling like on an airplane? Are yeah. you fully vaccinated?
1: I'm fully vaccinated. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Phew. Yeah. I, this is and so, I keep the travel to an absolute minimum. I okay. have to stay safe.
0: All right. And I want you to stay safe and I want you to come back, you know, because I think You know, the work that you're doing is super important and the insights that you have journalism to me is is dying slowly, but I'm going to do everything in my power to 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 uh, bring the defibrillator out and just, you know, where we can find great journalism in these different areas. So Thrive Thursday is your jam.